Welcome to Same Old Song, the lectionary podcast of Mockingbird Ministries, an organization that exists to connect the Christian faith with the realities of everyday life. As always and ever, I'm Scott Jones, your co-host, and in just a few moments, I'll be joined by Jacob Smith, the rector at Calvary St. George's Episcopal Church in New York City. Each week, Jake and I will endeavor to have a grace-infused cosmopolitan conversation about the lectionary texts for the week. We'll do our best to help both pastors and churchgoers alike to connect the same old song of God's redeeming grace to what feels like an ever-changing and confusing world. And we'll do it all in 25 minutes or less. Jake, once more into the breach, my friend. Here we go. Sing the same old song. We're still in Epiphany, correct? We are in Epiphany, the season of Eureka, as we have dubbed it. And, uh, you know, uh, really the powerful Epiphany. So the first part of Epiphany so far has been about the revelation of Christ to the world. Who is Jesus? Uh, He is your Lord and Savior. And now we are deep into the Epiphany, the revelation of who you are. And it is... When brought before the law, you realize that you are not as good as you thought. I had a, my Eureka looking at these texts was foundations. And the foundation of the whole thing mm. is, is love. Ooh, that's powerful. Say more about that. Well, you know, I was thinking about as we're jumping into Leviticus 19, which is quoted all over the place in the New Testament. That's right. And when it's not, I mean, quoted explicitly several times and then implicitly kind of referred to. And you think about, like, in this chapter, if you're going to preach this chapter, there's a lot of sort of seemingly abstract laws and things that connect with ritual observance. But really, you know, part of at the heart of this is uh, the heart of the law is love. Mm-hmm. And it shows us the norm of what we're called to, which is loving God. You know, in relationship to God, God some of these laws give us a picture of what it, means to love God, and what it means to love those around us who, like us, are his creations and children. And so, I mean, it could seem a little abstract. And then there's some, there's a few verses that seem kind of ritualistic in this, and they those are related probably to practices that are, have to do with Canaanite religious observance, which not only is failing to love God with heart and mind and devotion, but also you know, the the cost of idolatry is always dehumanization, right? Mm. It, 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 it basically, worshiping idol, when we idolatrize, it doesn't make us more human, even though it seems like we're pursu- pursuing certain heart's desires. It actually makes us less human. So even some of these abstract laws are actually with the idea that God would show the norms for a, a life for a people redeemed graciously out of slavery, this is a sort of picture of what a, a graced life in the freedom for fellowship and love looks like. That's right. And this, yeah, absolutely. The whole foundation of this passage is love. And, you know, who wrote the book of love? Well, God did. And, um, and really, love calls us out truly 100% to be completely self-giving. Um, it calls us to have an eye towards the betterment of the person around us. And, um, uh, and love and the betterment of the person around us is costly, and it costs us everything. Um, and that is why when it says... 
be holy as I am holy, we realize that ultimately, on our own, that costs us our life. Absolutely. And of course, I think that that part of, again, that part of the significance to remember is it's not as though God drops the law on Israel and says, okay, children of Abraham, wrestle with this for a few decades, and if you can get it under your belt, uh, I'll deliver you. I'll hear your cry. It's God delivers Israel out of Egypt, and and then and then after the, their gratuitous deliverance, uh, as they're in the wilderness wandering, you know, God God's grace. I mean, you can take the Israelites out of Egypt, but sometimes you can't take the Egypt the Egypt out of the Israelites, as we all know. Right. And we all stand before the, the God's picture of the law of of love uh, leaves us all wanting. And in those moments, the, the, the key is remembering the love at the foundation of Israel's redemption and ours, the great exodus, the death and resurrection of Jesus, that is the foundation of our freedom. That's right. Now, I th- And I think really kind of uh, as far as a sermon illustration and uh, kind of this Speaking to the congregation today, you know, I love what uh, uh, Capon has to say. Um, he says, you know, beware of people who want to talk about uh, justice, um, but are not willing to lay their life down for their friends, uh, let alone their enemies. And um, and uh, really, this is, uh, you know, when we speak of justice, we are actually speaking of love. And when we speak of love, we're actually speaking of holiness. And uh, and holiness ultimately requires us uh, to to die, and uh, to love someone so much that um, our own self interest is completely gone, and I think that that's something that's missing from a lot of the conversations today. Absolutely. Let's go back straight out of Corinth yet again and again. If you haven't read Jacob's Magazine article here in the church issue of Mockingbird, you've had weeks to do it. I don't know what you're, what you're doing. We've quoted it. We've referenced it. Run, don't walk to that baby. <laughs> always selling. We're always selling. So here oh, by the way, can, before, before we go on to this text, I forgot something. Can I just promo something? Yeah, sure. Friends? Go for it. I want to promo a friend's lectionary Devotional. He's one of our listeners. His name's Greg Strawbridge, a pastor at All Saints Church in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. And if you go to Revised Common Lectionary Devotional.wordpress.com, you can find the All Saints Revised Common Lectionary Family Devotional Guide. It's a wonderful devotion based on the lectionary readings for the week. And Greg's church is a lectionary preaching and reading congregation. So I just wanted to put that out there. People are always looking for resources. This is one from one of our own very, our very own listeners, Greg Strawbridge. That, that's, that's an incredibly important resource too, because I think that a, a lot of people forget that, you know, lectionaries are intended to be devotions for home. And actually the, the little church begins with the family. Absolutely. Mm. On to the dysfunctional family that we find in Corinth. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So, Jake, here we have, uh, we've got some construction metaphors. We, we, go, we go from agriculture to construction. We're looking here at, 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 instead of Paul talking about 
other laborers in the context of agricultural metaphors. Now here, we switch to the church as a building. Right. And, you know, temples were very big in, uh, in Corinth and in Greek culture, period. Uh, and, and really, he's using this because temples were always seen as holy places, whether you were a Jew or a Gentile, something sacred. And, uh, and uh, Paul is taking this concept of holiness and uh, being holy from the abstract and is making it personal. Absolutely. Yeah, and you know, it's very interesting. I found um, on the Calvin Center for Excellence in Preaching, which is a really nice website where they have some great stuff about preaching, and they offer lectionary reflections each week. Scott Hosey, I think is the chaplain there, says something really interesting about this text. He says that it is all finally one big story, and as Paul knows and tells the Corinthians, it is all finally also a story of grace, grace, grace. If we are properly gobsmacked by the revelation that each of us now houses something of the divine, we, fur- we are further bold over to see that when we do this imperfectly, we get saved anyway. Mm. The lectionary asks us to skip verses 12 through 15. Granted, Paul's imagery here is a little odd in this passage. Jesus will be twisted into some works righteousness scheme of salvation if we're not careful. But in context, it is still all about grace. God does expect us to build on the solid foundation that just is Christ and his gospel. Whether we build mightily and sturdily or poorly and weakly, however, we will still emerge safe because temples of God's Holy Spirit are just going to endure with that spirit one way or the other. Mm, absolutely. Uh, you know, things are temporal and things are passing, but uh, the spirit which uh, we all belong to, we are being made into an eternal temple. Absolutely. And one other thing I think that I, I found incredibly powerful. So you th- I was thinking through this foundations, you know, what are the, what's the foundation of our faith in these epiphanies? And there's a great piece on Mockingbird's website called Letter from a Hospice Chaplain in Las Vegas. Oh, that was it's, a great article. It's written by Matthew Medevilus. And he just opens with this. He says, I work as a chaplain for a nonprofit hospice in Las Vegas. Anyone who serves as a chaplain will tell you that the work can be routine, but it's never dull. The problems and situations you find yourself working through with people in hospice run the gamut from the touching to the tragic to the hilarious. Hospice humor is a thing. Next time you meet a hospice worker, ask. But one thing has never come up in seven years. Nobody has ever asked me if they've gotten their politics correct. I've never heard a confession that someone had not stood up for marginalized people enough. Never have I had to absolve somebody on a deathbed for being complicit in unjust structures. There's never been a long dialogue between a hospice patient and me examining if the kingdom has been sufficiently brought about by someone's earthly efforts. Mm. Politics has a way of becoming a non-factor in one's life after a terminal diagnosis. And you could put politics, you could put whatever is the idol that, that be, the, the molehill that becomes a mountain and the straw that you're mistaking for solid foundation. And, you know, as, as we come back again and again to what Scott Hose said, the message of grace and the scandal of the crucified God who, was, who suffered for us in love, then it pretty much it, it, it starts to put things back into perspective. Mm. I, you know, and that, that's really interesting because in a temporal sense, all of those things 
uh, that nobody talks about when they're de- when we're on our deathbed. We think that those things actually matter, and that is the wisdom of the world. And uh, what Paul is saying here is uh, we need to revert to a little foolishness, uh, the foolishness of God, which just lays it bare in the crucified Son, Jesus Christ. Amen to that. Day after day, alone on a hill. The man with the foolish grin is keeping perfectly still But nobody wants to know him They can see that he's just a fool And he never gives an answer but the fool on the And now, let's go to the gospel. Uh, Sermon on the Mounts. Well, once again, just kind of, you know, in... In line with um, <clears throat> in line with Leviticus, uh, we are the epiphany. We are being exposed that it is not just the outward that matters, but it's the intention that matters. And uh, and Jesus here um, is continuing his teaching uh, through chapter five um, on the law, where he is taking the law from uh, just kind of um, outward signs to um, inward actions. And he says, you know, you have heard that it was said. And what he's doing here when he says this is he's, 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 he's calling these rabbis out. And, uh, you know, they all had referenced older teachings, just like, you know, I would reference a commentary. And he says, you've heard it said that it's an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Uh, but I say to you, and it's interesting, psych, uh, uh, psychologists and therapists will oftentimes say, see, when you see someone say but, uh, that's disqualifying everything that just was said. And so, you know, I think that's really interesting there that that but is saying, uh, um, here comes something new, here comes something bigger, here comes something far more important. But I say to you, do not resist an evildoer, but if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. Uh, you see him just kind of elevating uh, the uh, call to uh, the call of love, who wrote the book of love, the call of love uh, to its extreme. It's not just about those whom you love, but um, loving your enemies as well. Yeah, and I think here, I mean, it's interesting that Jesus says there's, there's something new here. And I think mm-hmm. the new reality is, although, you know, the fact that that the the sum of religion is love. You know, C.S. Lewis talks about in the abolition of man that there is a surprising continuity between the ethics of the world's religions. Right? That 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 you know that that love. It's not as though Jesus said love is a good thing and everybody said crucify him, crucify. Him. <laughs> but it was it was the radical way that love. Where Jesus's whole story was a story of radical sacrificial love in the face of those. You know, when he says you know if you love those who love you. Well, you know, that's actually not that hard. That's just mutual exchange society. Yeah, you know, that's that's a that's a very powerful point. Uh, you know, and I think that love is the uh, one of the common things that all religions have. But that's because love is not necessarily the gospel. Uh, love is the language of the law. You know, Jesus, they asked Jesus, what is the law? And he says, the summary of the law is, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, the powerful thing about the gospel is, is that Jesus didn't go around getting killed, uh, didn't get killed for telling people to love everyone. Like, that's not what got him killed and crucified. What got him killed and crucified was, is that he took that idea of love and exposed how unloving we actually are. And it's in that, the law doing its job, exposing how unloving we actually are, that the gospel makes its way in. And what sets Jesus' message in this, this proclamation apart 
is it says you need to be actually forgiven for not loving enough. You need to be forgiven for not turning the other cheek. Uh, it'll be it'll be a cold day in hell, literally, before I'd naturally give my cloak away. Uh, that is truly a move of the Holy Spirit. And the law, as Jesus is bringing here, the law of love, uh, brought to its highest pitch, exposes how selfish I actually am. Yeah, and I think you know. Let me just. I've never I've never thought about this, but as you were saying, I think what the the message of the law is love achieved. And the message of the gospel is love received. Yes. And it's actually, you're really... God, that's good, man. We should make that a bumper sticker. Exactly. That could be our little new uh, monograph about that. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I think it's not as though that the fruit of the gospel isn't love, but that's sure. it. It can only be fruit. Of I mean, course. You, you know, it's, it's like a three-tiered fountain where, where love pours down from the first tier, which is the heart of God, the trying life of God which is then poured into us as, as needy sinners. And then when it, you know, then in gratitude, it spills over like almost unselfconsciously in, into and around the world. I, I actually think we, we actually gen, generally are most loving when we're not thinking about achieving completely the, the end. Completely. You know, it, it's when we're thinking about achieving it that generally we're thinking, we're thinking about loving ourselves our own self-image. That is a that's really powerful, and you know, and and it does it does function like this. Like, you know, Jesus fulfills the law so much; he fulfills it so much and so completely that it literally that love overflows and fills us up as well. You know, and uh, and so it's it's not something that's being generated from within us. This is the result. This is the fruit of, as you said, love achieved, and therefore love is then overflowing out that we receive it, and then are used as instruments of His peace uh, in loving kindness and charity to our neighbor. There was this story from the LA Times that we highlighted in another weekend, and we talked about it on the Mockingcast this week. But there's a Muslim man, Libyan-born, who lives in Southern California, L.A. County, I think. Mohammed Bezek is his name, and basically he cares for terminally ill foster children. That's the only ones he'll take are ones that are terminally ill. And he's been doing this for years, and no one really wants to do this. And he, he says... Um, uh, I wonder what one... the hospice jokes are there. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, and then he he's been caring for this girl who's deaf and blind, and most God. of her body is not really working um, it, 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 in a completely functional way. And he talks about her and just says that you know when she she knows he knows that she needs love. He says, and he like basically when she's. He can tell when she needs hugged and he holds her. And that's all he does. Uh, It's just, it's a remarkable, remarkable story. He says, this girl sits propped up with pillows in the corner of Bezek's living room couch. She has long, thin brown hair pulled into a ponytail and perfectly arched eyebrows over unseen gray eyes. The girl's head is too small for her 34-pound body, which is too small for her age. Mm. And he just, you know, just holds her and tends to her. So she's a human being. She needs love. Now... It's interesting, whenever we hear a story, right, whether it's a story from the Bible, a story from the newspaper, or something in film or novel, it's interesting to add, to look at, like, where we identify. And so I think the key for the Christian is not to identify in a story like that with Muhammad Bozak, <laughs> but to identify it with a paralyzed little girl. Because that, when you realize that that's the, your posture before God, 
and that you're terminally ill and that you don't need so you don't need just some some sort of good news a good advice but you need death and resurrection the good news of death and resurrection then the, the you're in the receptive posture mm. where as frank lake says you're not a bucket to contain something good but when the bottom of your humanity is knocked out you can be a channel for the redemptive energies and life of god oh that is great and in that uh because of someone else god almighty uh, you might understand what it is to be perfect, as your Heavenly Father is perfect. Amen to that, and we will catch you all next week. Thanks for listening to Same Old Song, the lectionary podcast of Mockingbird Ministries. To find out more about Mockingbird, go to our website, mbird.com. If you like what you heard, please go over to iTunes, give us a rating, and write a review, hopefully a favorable one. It helps so much. And maybe share it with a friend via social media. If you have thoughts, comments, or questions, feel free to email me at scottjones at mbird.com. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you next week.